please do keep your Bibles open uh, as we track through it together. Um, when we read well-known and loved passages like this, it's easy to skim over and, and miss important details. So look at it with me if you've got it open in front of you. What are the first two words? Jesus continued. So we've kind of jumped onto the bus tour halfway and we'll misunderstand unless we, we find out what happened at the start. If you look back to the end of chapter 14, Jesus has just explained uh, the cost of discipleship, the cost of being a follower of his. And he calls out in a loud voice, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And then as we jump into chapter 15, the very first verse says, the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. They just heard the cost. Now they heeded the call. Praise God that in any crowd, it seems there's always some who are willing with hearts open to Jesus. And there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law as well, the religious leaders in Jesus' day. Now, we might expect a really good response from them as well. What were they doing? Verse 2 tells us they were grumbling because Jesus welcomed sinners and ate with them. Every society has its more obvious sinners. Most of us can hide it most of the time, uh, we think. And perhaps in the circles you move in, you can think of some pretty obvious sinners. Well, Jesus welcomed them. He reached out to them, love and kindness. He spent time eating with them. And in those days, sharing a meal was a cultural signal of warm acceptance and approval. Here's Jesus, the perfect Son of God, God in the flesh, and he's treating sinners with his warmth. Why? Because all people bear the image of God. All people, whether they have faith or not, whether they believe God exists or not, they're all made by him and they bear his image. And he never lost sight of that and he never lost sight of the root cause of their sin either. He lovingly called them all to repent and turn back to God for forgiveness. And God wants us to treat people in this exact same way, to treat them with great dignity and respect, and at the same time, to lovingly call them to repent and turn back to the God whose image they bear. Some Christians, indeed some churches, some whole denominations, I think, slide too much to one side or the other. Very accepting and loving, but never talking about sin. Or the other extreme, a bit like the Pharisees here, yeah, full of rules and regulations against sin and, and, and condemnation for anyone who bombs out, but no love. Jesus had both, great love for people and a clear, uncompromising call to repent. Friends, what are you and I like with our friends? Well, the tax collectors and sinners, they were listening. Uh, so Jesus shows them God's delight when a sinner repents. You can see the shape of the, the previous two uh, parables, as, as Andrew mentioned, lost, found, and then celebrate. You see, it's not just the pain of our sin that can lead us to repentance. It's the love and kindness of God that also draws us to him. 
And the first one there is about a lost sheep. And the punchline is back in verse 7. I tell you that in the same way there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The second one is about a lost coin and the punchline is in verse 10. In the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Lots of rejoicing. But what does repentance look like? In this third parable, Jesus shows us, not in, a, in an animal or a coin or an object of some, but, but in the life of a real person, a reckless son. Now that we've got some background, let's walk into this parable and see what we can learn. It's got that same basic shape, you know, lost, found and celebrate. But Jesus adds a twist at the end, the older brother bit. And that's directed fairly and squarely at the judgmental attitude of the Pharisees. Now, I've asked a few people to be Pharisees today just to help us, you know, really imagine what it would be like. Um, where are my Pharisees? I've got four of them over here. Can, can you maybe just give us a wave? Whoa. <laughs> well, as we've seen, they're pretty judgmental. Always sitting together in a group too, you notice that. <laughs> and they're quite angry. They sound quite angry to me uh, because Jesus, who says he's from God, is associating with all these really well-known sinners. So Jesus tells a story. There was a man who had two sons the younger one said to his father, and, and immediately we can identify with a story like this. We know lots of families with two sons. The younger one says to his father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, this did sometimes happen, very rarely, but sometimes uh, it certainly wasn't common. It's like he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have uh, my share of your wealth. What, what, what a lovely son. <laughs> the son doesn't say why he wants it, but as soon as his father agrees, we see his true colours, don't we? Verse 13, not long after that, the son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Well, how do the Pharisees feel about that? So the story continues in verse 14 where two disasters strike this young son simultaneously. He runs out of money and there is a severe famine and the only job he can get is feeding pigs. Now remember this is a Jewish audience and Jews detest pigs because they're ceremonially unclean animals. This is an extremely, extremely shameful place for a Jewish boy to be. Permanently unclean before God and despised by people. And look at the end of verse 16. 
It's just heart-wrenching. He, he just wants to eat some of what he's giving to the pigs. End of verse 16. No one gave him anything. The people of that place valued pigs more than this person. Well, let's go cross back over to the Pharisees, see what compassion they found in their hearts. What do you think? Friends, fortunately, all is not lost, even when he hits rock bottom like this, because God is sovereign. And if you've followed Jesus for more than a couple of days of your life, you know that he so often uses our circumstances in life to bring us closer to him, even the hard times of our lives so in verse 17 we see a turning point he came to his senses and he makes this great plan how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here i am starving to death i will set out and go back to my father and say to him father i have sinned against heaven and against you i'm no longer worthy to be called your son make me like one of your hired servants he's learned a set piece hasn't he what do our Pharisees think of this plan? But once again, God is at work. Hunger may have been his motivation. But we can see in his words, the youngest son has recognized his problem. I have sinned. I have sinned. Friends, if we do not see our sin, we will see no, no need for a saviour. We've already noted that Jesus loved people and calls them to repent. The first step towards repentance is recognising that we need to change. And so humbly, he turns around. Goes back to his father. But things don't go quite the way he anticipated. Verse 20. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him. You kind of get the sense that the father has been standing on the veranda all along, don't you? Just looking, longing, waiting for this moment. The father was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Friends, this is extravagant, indescribable grace. Undeserved kindness towards anyone, let alone a runaway son who's just spent half your superannuation. The, the son has got his set piece, his prepared speech. In verse 21, he, he launches, doesn't he? But notice he doesn't get to finish because the father interrupts him. Verse 22, quick! He's calling the shots here. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. 
It's an extraordinary moment. Pharisees, what do you think now of this turn of events? Sounds familiar, really, doesn't it? You can imagine it. Thank you, volunteers. You've done brilliantly. Uh, should we give them a little round of applause? That was... See, friends, this, this story is showing us what God, our Heavenly Father, is like. He loves us. He pursues us. He draws us to himself. He joyfully accepts every sinner who repents and he covers the cost. The reason he can genuinely, truly, completely forgive our sin is because it has been paid in full by the death of his son, our Lord Jesus, who died on the cross, taking our place, paying for our sin. So that we can be welcomed home and forgiven and treated as sons and daughters of the true and living God. At this point, I want us to notice something that's been going on in the heart of the younger son. You see, he left home on his terms. And the fruit of that choice played out, didn't it? We can see the way that's played out. Sin is putting ourselves, our thinking, our plans in place of God's plans for our lives. Our plans may, may be obviously silly like the younger son. Or they may, may be marvellous plans in our eyes and even in the eyes and opinions of other people as well. Either way, a future apart from God our Father is ultimately devastating. Notice that he tried to return on his terms as well. He had a speech all worked out, admitting his sin, providing the solution, hire me as a slave. But he was warmly accepted, not on his terms, but on the father's terms. Son, not slave. And his return is joyfully celebrated. Instead of looking after the calf, they killed the fattened calf and feasted. Friends, we're only ever accepted by God on his terms. But friends, his terms are so much better, vastly better than any terms we might come up with ourselves. Indescribable and glorious grace. The meaning of the parable up to this point, well, it's the same as the first two parables, really, isn't it? God, our Heavenly Father, joyfully welcomes every sinner who repents. Lost, found, celebrate. And we could apply it to our lives in, I think, a couple of ways. We could see it as a call to personally repent, to stop running from God, stop doing life according to our plans, stop pushing Him to the outer suburbs of our lives and turn back to Him wholeheartedly, making him central. Or secondly, we could see it as a reminder to love other sinful people, like ourselves, with the same compassion and welcoming love that God has and to call them back to God who gave them life. 
so that they can be forgiven and welcomed home. Now the Pharisees, well, we're kind of seeing, you know, they were deeply offended at this point. But Jesus still turns up the heat a little more. You see, he knows that they're not just struggling to love sinners. They're in danger of missing out on God's forgiveness altogether. And so what we see here is the father lovingly pursuing the older brother because unforgiven sin is eternally fatal. On another occasion, Jesus warned the Pharisees, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, they're entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. Remembering that there are two broad groups of people listening to Jesus here. The sinners and the religious leaders. And they're represented by the two brothers in Jesus' story. He's addressed the sinners. They need to repent and to come home to God. Now he adds a little twist at the end. Just for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The religious ones. The ones who perhaps think they've got it all together before God. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. There he is. He's, he's out working hard. He's probably raised that fattened calf that just got killed. Like, let's spare a thought and have a bit of compassion for him for a moment. When he comes near the house, he's all this music. Bit of a party going on. He asks, he gets the story. He's furious. Notice what's going on in the older brother's heart. Verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. He's not going to join the celebration. What a striking resemblance to the Pharisees that are standing there listening to Jesus. They're angry, they're bitter, they're unforgiving, and they will not join Jesus in loving sinners who want to hear his message of hope and eternal salvation. Note what goes on in the father's heart. Same verse. So his father went out to him and pleaded with him. No matter how hateful the Pharisees get, God loves them too and he wants them. He dearly wants them to repent. He wants them to join the party. Note what goes on in the older brother's heart. Verse 29. He's full of bitterness and excuses. People who are proud and self-righteous always feel that they're not treated as well as they deserve. He's so bitter, he says in verse 30, this son of yours. He can't even call him his brother. <laughs> Note what goes on in the father's heart as he calls him to repent. Verse 31, he tenderly calls the older brother, my son. He affirms his status and reminds him of his inheritance, but he never backs down from his posture of compassion, forgiveness and joy towards the younger brother. We had to celebrate and be glad, he says. It's the only right response. I love, I love how he says, this brother of yours. <laughs> Gently but clearly addressing and correcting the older brother's bitter heart. Most of us have a bit of older brother in our hearts. I'm actually a younger brother. I've got an older brother, but I see plenty of older brother in my heart too. We've been saved by grace and not by works. 
And yet when you've been a Christian for quite some time, it's very easy to think that, that God should somehow hold you in higher esteem or you're working really hard for the, for the Lord and somehow gives you, that, gives you that a little bit of extra real estate in God's heart or something. You know, it's hard to stop... Uh, it's hard to stop being the prodigal son without becoming a bit more like the older brother as the uh, years go by. What did the older brother say? All these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders. We easily exaggerate our own service for God, don't we? As though God owes us something. We're tempted to think our standing with God is, is by works. And not by grace, of course, we'd never say that. But the way we, we live out our faith sometimes and the posture of our heart suggests that's what's going on. And God, our Father, calls us to repent. If what I've described even rings the smallest belling of truth in your own heart, we need to repent. Turn back to God and let his grace set our hearts free. Learn to love God again. And learn to love others as God loves us. Celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And that's the end of the parable. We actually don't know if the older brother came in. We don't know how the younger brother responded to the father's warm welcome beyond that initial party which is pretty clever really because it leaves it open to to kind of finish the story in our own hearts how will we respond perhaps you identify more with the younger brother and you know you need to come home perhaps you identify more with the older brother and you need to come home will we repent Will we turn back to God, accept his love on his terms? And as we do, learn to love other struggling sinners around us. How will we respond?